Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to top athletes, coaches, influencers, and minds from around the world of strength sports. Presented by BarBend.com. Today on the Bar Bend Podcast, I'm talking to Will Ahmed, the CEO and founder of Whoop. Whoop is a technology and wearables company dedicated to unlocking human performance. The Whoop Strap device uses heart rate variability and some really cool intuitive software to help athletes of all types track and quantify their recovery and sleep. Will founded Whoop while he was still a student at Harvard University, where he played squash and conducted research on athletic recovery. Since then, his company has grown to partner with major sports leagues and some of the world's most prominent pro athletes. Over the past year or so, I've personally seen a big uptick in strength athletes using Whoop to help keep better tabs on how they're recovering between training sessions and within training cycles. Multi-time CrossFit Games champ Katrin David's daughter is just one prominent strength and fitness athlete we've seen use the device. And now, Barbend listeners can use the code BARBEND, that's B-A-R-B-E-N-D, to get 30% off of a Whoop membership. I'm excited to chat with Will on Whoop's growth and goals, specifically with how they're engaging strength athletes and their recovery needs. And just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the Barbend podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. This helps us stay on track in bringing you the best content possible week after week. And if there's someone you'd absolutely love to hear on a future Barbend podcast episode, let us know in your podcast review. I personally read each and every review, so your suggestions will most definitely be seen. All right, today on the Barbend podcast, I'm joined by Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of Whoop. Will, thanks so much for joining us here live in Brooklyn. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, Whoop is based in Boston. You founded the company shortly after college. What was your goal in founding a performance and recovery-based company like that? Well, for me, and and we both had the pleasure of going to Harvard, uh, you know, I was uh, playing squash while I was in school and I didn't really know what I was doing to my body while I was training. I was someone who used to overtrain. So you go through periods where you're getting fitter and fitter and then all of a sudden you fall off a cliff. And for me at, at, at a school like Harvard, it seemed like a very unintelligent training process. Like it seemed like random when I was going to be really fit or when I was going to be run down. And so I got very interested in physiology in school. I ended up reading something like 500 medical papers. I met with a bunch of cardiologists, physiologists, and ultimately I ended up uh, writing a paper myself around how to continuously understand the human body. So my own personal interest in overtraining led me down this deep rabbit hole of things like heart rate variability and recovery and slow wave sleep and how to improve. And and so uh, from there, uh, I started taking a couple classes that were more geared towards uh, how to write a business plan. And, uh, and I actually founded Whoop uh, halfway through my senior year. So, you know, really out of the dorm room. And, uh, and months later, I met... Um, John Capilupo, who became one one of my co-founders, and he was uh, studying some of the hardest math classes in the country at Harvard and uh, and had a much more technical background than I did. And it turns out his father's a professor of exercise physiology. So we had a real overlap around physiology. He had the technical chops to do some things from a sensing standpoint that hadn't been done before. 
And I had a vision for how to build a product for coaches and athletes and beyond. And so that was really the beginning of it. Uh, and that was, yeah, it's the summer of 2012. We sort of were off for the races. So that's a lesson for all the college students listening to this podcast. This is what happens when you do the reading. You found a, <laughs> you found a successful company in college. You grow it after. It becomes you know, a massive runaway hit in the uh in the sports community. And I really love your questioning mindset that you had there because in college, they always teach us to test, retest, use the data points. It's something that we see in business. It's something that we see in so many aspects of life. But in the fitness industry, when it comes to recovery, we're so obsessed, I think, especially in strength athletics with that next PR, measuring your progress. But actionable data to measure recovery and to optimize recovery is something that's, I think, still very much missing from corners of the industry. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that that I guess was the was the core insight that I had uh, in starting Whoop was that I believed there was this massive overemphasis on what you were doing when you were exercising, and massive underemphasis on the other 20, 22 hours of the day. Right. Like it, it turned out that I wasn't overtraining just because of what I did when I was exercising. I was overtraining because I was also a student. I was also going out at night. I was studying all the time. Um, and I wasn't getting enough sleep. So those things actually had a bigger factor on overtraining than just the specific exercise itself. Now, obviously, exercise can be a big component. But yeah, I think recovery, that's the single most important thing that Whoop has brought to market, this idea that every day you wake up with a score from 0 to 100%, red, yellow, green, how prepared is your body to perform, that is definitely the most important thing we've brought to market. In the early days of Whoop, when you're first te- when you're testing some of the early technology, when you're working with athletes using using yourself and your team as as guinea pigs, really, literally, what were what were some of the biggest surprises when it came to recovery and the body's response to overreaching that you saw in those early stages? Well, I think one thing that was fascinating was this concept around how to peak on a given day, right? So. If you've got 20 athletes, doesn't matter what sport, and you've got a game on Saturday and today's Monday, a typical training plan will look like you want to train hard on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, taper Thursday, taper Friday, peak Saturday, right? The reality, though, is that each individual is experiencing something different over the course of that week. Like everyone's bodies are unique. And so, What I believed before starting Whoop and what has proven now to be true with data is that over the course of a week, you need to actually treat most individuals on a personalized training plan versus on these sort of macro team training plans. Now, inevitably, you're going to need to have team drills and whatnot. But from a pure cardiovascular load standpoint, you need to manage the guys who are already run down on Monday and Tuesday. You can't just you know, push them over the wall. And then the guys that are still run down by the end of the week, you need to make sure they do even less. And one thing that's interesting about measuring strain is you can see even if someone's tapering properly. Uh, As your body is more recovered, as you get fitter, it actually becomes harder to tell the amount of stress that you're putting on the body. So people, especially college teams, will actually overtrain two days or a day before the game because they've started to get more rest and they're more recovered. And so when they do those drills, the drills seem easy and they don't realize that they're actually putting a meaningful amount of strain on their body. 
So all of this is to say is that you can really only manage what you measure. And by having uh, you know real data on things like strain and recovery, you can now start to balance them. Now, Whoop has really made a name for itself and, and continues to work very closely in the realm of team athletics for a lot of the, the big major leagues, the major pro sports. Um, and something that the company has really made huge strides on in the past 18 months, two years, is targeting the individual consumer. Now, for our listening audience and our readership, it's a lot of strength athletes. It's a lot of people you know who are powerlifters, weightlifters, crossfitters, strongman athletes. They're interested in individualized recovery, which is something that Whoop was promoting and is promoting in the team sense. Breaking it down to how Whoop and the metrics you all measure, HRV, recovery, uh, response to overreaching, how are you seeing that used and used effectively among strength athletes? Well, the important thing to understand for strength athletes is that you actually don't get stronger in the gym. Your body is breaking down in the gym, and then it repairs itself, and that's how you get stronger. And the whole repairing process uh, occurs primarily during sleep. So the fact that Whoop is the most accurate wrist-worn sleep monitor is a huge advantage in this regard. And in particular, we measure different stages of sleep. So the fact that we measure slow-wave sleep really accurately uh, is very important for people who lift weights. Because slow-wave sleep, as you know, uh, produces 95% of your body's human growth hormone. Think about that. 95% of your body's human growth hormone is produced when you're in slow-wave sleep. So if you're getting 30 minutes of slow-wave sleep versus an hour and a half, that's having a profoundly different impact on how your body is building muscle from that gym session. And what we've seen in working with uh, power lifters and working with some of the best CrossFitters in the world and working with uh, you know people who, who train pretty seriously uh, to, to build muscle is that actually the biggest gains for them can be made outside of the gym. It can be made really dialing in recovery, really dialing in slow wave sleep. And by the way, once you start measuring these things, again, you can manage them. So in the beginning, you may not get as much slow wave sleep as you like, but then you just start to realize what are all these different things in my life that can affect slow wave sleep? How can I improve my slow wave sleep? So for me, I've gotten into melatonin before bed. I wear an eye mask now. I uh, wear blue light blocking glasses that uh, you know are supposed to boost REM and slow wave sleep. Um, I, I sleep in a really cold bedroom, right? Uh, really dark bedroom. All these things have helped me personally. Now, many of those things may help our listeners, but who knows, right? You want to figure out what's that perfect recipe for you. I think there's a misconception, or at least a a conception. Some of it potentially founded in the strength sports community that fitness trackers aren't for strength athletes. And I think that's because over the past decade, um, strength athletes have been exposed to, marketed to, and bombarded by a lot of fitness trackers really that aren't designed for them and that don't improve their performance. They're fitness trackers that I think were designed more for triathletes, runners, things like that. You know, A step counter isn't going to mean the same thing to a power lifter as it would to someone who maybe isn't interested in improving their PRs in those lifts. Um, what I find really interesting is how WHOOP is useful to, and these recovery metrics are useful to any sort of athlete. Are there any misconceptions you see, especially among strength athletes, that you kind of have to work to overcome when talking about the device, marketing the device? 
Well, first of all, I think you're absolutely right about the step counters and and sort of these trackers that have come before. I wouldn't even call them necessarily fitness trackers because they're not measuring fitness, right? Uh, steps is a completely irrelevant metric for a wide, uh, vast majority of the population, but especially people who lift weights because. Here you are crushing yourself in the gym and lo and behold, you only got 30 steps because you weren't moving your arms that much, right? Whereas uh, you could be waving your wrist while you're speaking and you get a lot of steps. So steps, especially for weightlifters, is completely irrelevant. Now to your point about how to optimize WHOOP in order to get benefits from weightlifting, I think a lot of it comes down to understanding that our technology is actually flexible in the way you can wear it. So you don't necessarily just have to wear it on your wrist. You can wear it on your forearm or your upper arm. That benefits a lot of people who are, you know, throwing kettlebells around mm-hmm. or doing some things that uh, are, are moving their their arms in a, in a unique way. Uh, and then separately, we've now developed a strain coach in the app. So in real time, you can actually see how your heart rate's building, how your strain's building, and Whoop will tell you to keep going or to stop based on the amount of strain you've accumulated, and again, based on how recovered you are. Because that's another interesting thing. You know, maybe you've been planning to do a PR this week, but you wake up with a low recovery on Whoop. Do you really want to do your PR on a day where your body's not optimized? Mm-hmm. Probably not, right? So uh, do you want to do that huge lift on a day your body's not recovered? Probably not. So that's where you can start to, uh, again, manage these things and and create a little bit of variability in your workout planning. What do you think is, and we're we're jumping a little bit ahead here, so feel free to reel me back in on this. Sure. Um, What do you think is next for Whoop on the consumer-facing side as far as evolutions of the device what people are using it for now uh, compared to what people could be using it for a few years down the road? Well, one really big evolution for us was transitioning completely to a subscription model. So today you can get Whoop for just $30 and it's $30 a month and the hardware comes completely free. There's no notion of buying hardware. And by signing up for this membership, you're getting hardware and software and analytics and you're part of this community all bundled together for as little as $30. Now, what's powerful about that uh, and what's exciting for us as a company is it puts a lot of responsibility on us to prove to you every day and every month that we're still delivering value. So you asked where we're going. For us, it's continuing to add amazing software features around understanding your body, add amazing analytics features around understanding your body. Because every month we need to keep fighting for that 30 bucks so that you're getting value. And by the way, I think that's part of the issue with other wearable products to date is they just had a big lump sum payment up front and then they didn't care about you afterwards. And that affects the way that a, a team internally thinks about supporting its customers. Whereas for us, it's the opposite. We want to make sure that you continue to have an amazing, amazing experience so that you stay on the product, right? Uh, so a lot of our future development is is just that. It's making sure that we continue to develop amazing software and analytics features. You mentioned earlier we were talking about some older fitness fitness trackers that uh, I think you don't necessarily see on the market anymore that clearly weren't that successful, weren't that sticky among athletes. And you mentioned how they, they weren't really tracking fitness. They were more movement trackers. And it was up to the user to try and piece together and parse through the data to take actionable steps and apply those things to their training and to their recovery, which is probably a big reason you don't see a lot of those on people's wrists anymore, especially in strength sports. What are some things that you would like Whoop 
to be able to do or that you would like strength athletes to be able to get from WHOOP that they aren't necessarily getting right now? Well, I think one of the biggest things, again, is understanding which days to really push it and which days to dial it back. Because strength training is so dependent on the status of your body, right? Like no matter where you are in a cycle of lifting, if you uh, if your body's run down, and intellectually people know this, if you just did a big bench press and deadlift yesterday and then you try to PR the next day, it's going to be worse, right? That's obvious. But what's interesting is what are all the nuances of how your body's recovering that can then prepare you for your optimal lift? So with WHOOP, I think one benefit you'll see is this ability to understand, am I properly recovered for the lift that I was planning to do? And if you're not, um, then you can, you know, think about how you might want to adjust that, right? That's a that's a powerful moment. And in fact, a lot of the research I did initially in starting Whoop that we talked about was on Olympic bodylifters, uh, powerlifters, uh, in like the 70s and 80s, because they would get hooked up to an electrocardiogram machine in the morning and measure their heart rate variabilities, and they used that metric, in fact, to determine how much they should lift that day, more so than their own intuition and more so than coaching. So now the fact that we're able to measure things like heart rate variability while you're sleeping just in the background, that's kind of a breakthrough. I think weightlifting, you're referencing weightlifting in particular, and this is that's my background, um, weightlifters come to this realization eventually in their career that they're not just training the muscle, they're not just training the movement pattern, they're training their nervous system. And I think a really undervalued aspect of recovery is, well, how is your nervous system recovering and responding to this stimulus as opposed to just your muscles? Absolutely. Because your, your nervous system is the predictor in a lot of ways of how prepared your body is to perform, right? This idea of balancing sympathetic and parasympathetic activity. Sympathetic's activation, so it's heart rate up, blood pressure up, respiration up. It's what's happening when you're exercising or you're stressed or you think about something. Parasympathetic's all the opposite, heart rate down, blood pressure down, respiration down. It's what helps you fall asleep. And in fact, you want for every sympathetic to have a parasympathetic response. You want those things to be in balance. Like you can actually feel this when you inhale, that's sympathetic. When you exhale, that's parasympathetic, right? That's why when you meditate or you take six deep breaths, right? All of a sudden your body calms itself because you've just gotten sympathetic and parasympathetic more in tune. And we're able to measure this phenomenon through heart rate variability because the more in tune sympathetic and parasympathetic, the higher your heart rate variability. It's a little counterintuitive, but the higher the heart rate variability, the better. And so what that does is it gives us this lens into the status of how restored your body is because we're measuring it during slow wave sleep. Let's talk about some of the factors that are outside the gym that could impact recovery, again, with an eye particularly toward strength athletics and strength athletes. Um, You know, nutrition is something that has become more and more of a component of the lifestyle of strength athletes, powerlifters, weightlifters, crossfitters. Alcohol is something that certainly affects training and recovery. And it's something that we all kind of anecdotally know, but often don't really take the time to measure. And in talking to whoop users and in, in reading some of the content you all put out, um, it's very interesting to see the impact that alcohol, drinking alcohol is having on recovery and how that's reflected in the data that Whoop is giving users. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the, the things that we're you know proudest of at Whoop is that you can see how all these different things in your life affect your body and effectively do these little A-B tests on yourself. Now, alcohol is really black and white. I mean, that 
the more alcohol you drink, the worse your recovery, period. I don't think anyone's like advocating just do shots for PRs right now. Yeah. No, no, they're not. But what's interesting is like even some nights having two drinks can really mess up your sleep and your recovery. And it also matters how closely you have those drinks to going to bed. Intellectually, I think most people will have a beer or have a glass of wine and think it doesn't matter, right? Uh, however, it, you can find some nights it actually really does matter. And so that's one interesting thing. Binge drinking is exceptionally bad. We work with a lot of college athletes, so we see binge drinking all the time on Whoop. And uh, what's fascinating is it's not just the next day that they have a low recovery. We'll see re uh, suppressed recoveries of athletes who drank versus the ones who didn't on their team for up to five days. So your body is still showing signs of being hungover five days later uh, from a big night out. So, you know, all you college athletes listening, just think about that extra shot. Now, the uh, the other thing that's interesting is uh, is nutrition, right? And you, you touched on this. Like, I think there are a lot, there's a lot out there right now on what's the right diet for me if I want to get big, right? Or I want to get stronger. And by the way, a lot of conflicting information, frankly. And there's a reason there's 10,000 diets because it's not obvious what's right for you. Uh, so the one of the cool things about Whoop is you can see how different diets affect your body. And I would really encourage people who are very serious about weightlifting to look at how different supplements and different diets affect their body. Because if all of a sudden you decide to go keto and you just flatline on Whoop for 10 days, guess what? That's doing damage to your body. That is not the right diet for you, even though it sounds cool and a lot of people are doing it and it's you know a good test for you mentally. Uh, and we've seen that happen. Sure, we've seen it work for people too, but we've seen people just redline. I mean, red recovery every day for 10 days, right? And by the way, if they hadn't seen that data, they might be like, yeah, this is going well. You know, I'm a keto guy. So uh, I, think th I think that's important. The other thing is looking at how some of these different uh, pre and post workout things uh, are affecting your body. You know, a lot, I know a lot of people like to take a pre workout drink that has a lot of caffeine in it. Well, guess what? If you're taking that later in the day, later in the afternoon, that may be dramatically impacting your sleep. So either you, you want to try to take that in a morning workout or just think about whether you want to do it in the afternoon or the evening. Because that much caffeine, we typically see after 4 p.m., if you drink caffeine, it's going to negatively impact your sleep. Now, for you, maybe you can get away with it or maybe you can't, but you should know that, right? You should measure that. So overall, I think the, the thesis here is you can manage what you measure. Let's talk about some of your work in in the past year, year and a half, with some some big athletes and some very recognizable personalities in the strength sports community. Katrin David's daughter certainly comes to mind. Um, she's someone that I've been lucky enough to work with um, a few times over the past, geez, six or seven years when she was kind of just getting started off in CrossFit, was making the transition from gymnastics. I know she was a guest on your podcast as well. What ha feedback have you been able to get from her and other top CrossFit athletes uh, regarding their recovery and some of the deltas or gaps they're still having when it comes to optimizing recovery? 
Yeah, you know, I think what's been, what's interesting again for CrossFit as a community is it's such an intense uh, sport. It's such an intense discipline. Um, people are susceptible to injury. They are susceptible to overtraining. So the recovery piece, the sleep piece, we get a lot of positive feedback about that. I remember when Katrin was on the podcast, she was really talking about how she realized that the time in bed she spent didn't actually equal hours of sleep. Mm. And that's kind of a breakthrough, actually, for anyone to understand, especially a professional athlete. You know, when you ask someone, hey, how'd you sleep last night? They'll be like, yeah, I got seven hours of sleep. And it's like, okay, well, when'd you go to bed? I went to bed at 11 p.m. and I woke up at 6 a.m. Well, actually, no. You spent seven hours in bed. And by the way, depending on your sleep efficiency, that's probably somewhere from five hours of sleep to six and a half. So understanding that just as a simple baseline understanding is quite powerful. And that, that'll that just inevitably encourage you to spend more time in bed and try to get more sleep. And then people like Katrin get very dialed in on what's the right pre-bed routine, uh, mindfulness, all these different things that can uh, try to you know improve their sleep. And if you're a competitive person like, like a Katrin, you realize you want to be beating everyone at recovery as much as you want to be beating them in the gym, right? You want to, you, you start to think of yourself, this is the shift, right? You go from thinking of yourself as a professional athlete two to four hours a day when you're competing and working out to thinking of yourself as a professional athlete 24-7. What are some of the communities, it could be in strength athletics, it could be just in general uh, active communities, I'm kind of thinking of that whoop hasn't made a lot of headway in or you think has the biggest potential for growth in? Well, I think we're, I feel quite fortunate in that I do think today we actually work in most pockets of sports and fitness. Um, you know, we have athletes on Whoop that literally represent every every sport imaginable. Uh, we have fitness communities, I think, are, that are really quite wide ranging. And again, the thing that holds all these communities together is is this idea of recovery and sleep. Yes, there's different ways to manage strain, and we measure that too. And I think the the sleep and recovery piece, though, is is just transformational for anyone who's trying to, to improve. We've seen a lot of trends in the fitness industry over the last decade. Some flame out, some continue on. I think that when I first heard of CrossFit about 10 years ago, I kept hearing from everyone that I was weightlifting with, oh, it's a fad, oh, it's a fad. Well, CrossFit's actually been the best thing for weightlifting imaginable as far as bringing it mainstream. If you look at what's out there now, and we've mentioned a few diets on this podcast, we've talked about a few different training methodologies, what do you see right now that may have some staying power when it comes to the fitness industry and training long-term? Well, I think I think the CrossFit thing has proven to be pretty sticky. I think it's I think I it's going to stick around at this point. That, that's a, that's been an amazing cult movement. Talk about something it just began with with an email, right? And now I think there's a million people who do CrossFit, uh, maybe ten million actually. It's the the, the, the number varies Excuse depending me, on yeah. who you hear it from, but there somewhere there are between cert- a million and ten million people are doing this thing that started with an email, right? Yeah. So that, and by the way, it's also a very disruptive type of workout, right? It began with some kind of influence from Navy SEALs. So I, I think that's quite amazing. Uh, I think it also just shows you the power today of uh, fitness, right? Fitness is a growing phenomenon. It's not slowing down. Uh, the question is, of course, how do you get more people that are on the other end of the spectrum, right? We still have a massive obesity problem in this country, 
So you've got you've got this sort of bimodal distribution where uh, more people are getting fitter and more people are getting fat and 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 less people in the middle. Um, so so that's an interesting question that I think about. Another question I think about is what are the things that people aren't talking about that will become very important? And I think sleep's already now entered that stage. So now everyone's talking about sleep. Sleep's really become the new steps. Um, I think breathing is something people don't talk about enough. I think that's I think that's going to be very big in the next five to ten years. I found personally that the way I breathe throughout the day can really dramatically affect my performance, uh, just intellectually, you know, uh, not to mention sports or anything else, but just the way I think if I'm breathing effectively versus not. And uh, it's one of those things that the more you think about it, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. So I, I do transcendental meditation. A lot of people, athletes I work with do all sorts of other things. But just learning how to breathe properly, I think, is so fundamental. And it's, be, it's mostly being talked about through the lens of meditation today, and it still seems a little woo-woo. You know, it hasn't quite, it hasn't quite broken through as as like something that everyone needs to understand about themselves. But I think you'll see that in five to 10 years be a big phenomenon, like these, this idea of breath work. And something we've seen uh, in the strength community, I know Mark Bell, who's a, who's a pretty well-known powerlifter and coach, has been posting a lot about this. Breathing habits at night, nasal versus mouth breathing. There you go, yeah, all this stuff. I think, that, I, think I totally buy all of that. And I think the more people start to understand it and try it themselves the more they'll see benefits from it. Like you just even said, those are two different types of breathing, right? It's something that even even five years ago, and I, I consider myself as, I mean, I work in content in the fitness space, right? right. I should yeah. be up on this, yeah. but it's something that I wouldn't have thought about consciously five years ago. And you look into the research on it, the impact of nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, especially during sleep cycles. Um, it's really, it's a promising area of research um, and one where we can already draw some conclusions, right? Um, but certainly something that I think the average athlete or just average person isn't consciously thinking of, but I'm sure that's going to change. Um, and by the way, it also ties to another trend, which I think we're going to see, which is a bit of a rebellion to technology. Right now, we're, we're approaching, I think, some degree of like peak addiction towards technology, where it just it seems culturally totally acceptable that no matter um, whether you're on the toilet or in the subway or any moment of boredom, you have to be looking at your phone. And I think that there's going to be this sort of rebellion to that at some point, and people are going to realize they need to actually go completely the other way and figure out how to not do that. And I think that's where you'll also see more, more of a focus on breath work. As someone who founded and runs a tech company, yeah. does, that, does that scare you or is it something that you think Whoop can position itself to you know, survive as, as we gradually and consciously disconnect? Well, the, the criticism that I have for um, other technology brands that dominate, so let's take Instagram, for example, is they're overdoing it a little bit. They're, they're trying to create too much of an addiction engine. You don't need a push notification when someone likes your photo. You don't need 25 different forms of push notifications. I've gone into my phone and turned off all push notifications pretty much across everything. So this doesn't affect me. But a lot of the default settings end up being the default settings. And, and by the way, we think about it all the time at Whoop. Part of the reason that Whoop doesn't have a screen is we want it to be passive. 
We want you to choose when you want feedback from a coach, right? So Whoop doesn't have a screen. It's mostly material. In fact, we want it to disappear on your body. We don't want you to think about it. Um, that's a very different point of view than I think a lot of technology companies today. So uh, you just, I think you have to be mindful of these things. How are you going to actually improve someone's body? I don't think you're improving their body if you're paying them every five minutes to, to check in with you, right? There needs to be a few key check-in points throughout the day, and that's it. Excellent. Well, where can folks follow Whoop, stay up to date with what the company's doing, but maybe more relevant to this podcast, Will, where can folks stay up to date with what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me online at Will Ahmed, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. Uh, you can find uh, Whoop at Whoop. Um, Instagram, Twitter tend to be the most popular for, for both myself and for Whoop. Uh, you can also uh, shoot me an email, will at whoop.com. Uh, I, I will probably respond to you, or at various, I'll, I'll read what you say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm happy to answer questions about the product and, and uh, building a business in general. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip and really, really excited to see what comes next from you and from the team at Whoop. Thanks for having me, brother.